You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. I was once uh, uh, the way the way churches one of the ways churches chooses to choose their pastors in America is they have pastors come in and or preachers come in and they preach and you know do a little trial sermon and all this kind of stuff. Then meet with the uh, with the uh, committee, and uh, they were looking at me as a possible uh, candidate for the ministry. So I was, uh, I, at that time, I used, you know those little spiral-bound notebooks? I, I used one of those things. And uh, they had a very small pulpit that I was using. And at one point, I was just preaching away, and I had my hand like this, and I jerked my hand up like that, and uh, my spiral caught on my coat. So I threw my notes <laughs> out into the audience. So I had to go down and pick up my notes and bring it back. And then within a couple of minutes, I did that on the pulpit, and my Bible just flipped over there. And uh, isn't that the truth? <clears throat> and, and one guy in the congregation came up to me afterwards. He said, you know, when I first saw you and saw you sitting up there, he said, you look like a very boring guy. <laughs> but, but he said, when you started throwing things at us, he said, it got a little interesting. So I'll try not to throw anything at you. Thank you so much for having me back, as I've said earlier, when I get invited back somewhere, especially to come this far. You know, you have so many people you could choose from uh, to have come and speak, and you choose me to come back to your virtual camp. That's because uh, maybe I didn't mess up too bad last time, or you feel sorry for me. But I always feel very inadequate to come to things like this because I so desperately want God to speak through me. And, you know, he spoke through a donkey, so I guess he could use me. So that gives me hope. Let me also say that some of you probably know this. Excuse me, I didn't mean to baptize those of you on the front row there. Uh, Many of you probably know this, but you are a very unique church, and I'm not saying that just to be nice. I'm not saying that because this is what preachers are supposed to do to build up the church they're speaking to. I don't do that. Uh, But you're a very unique church. I've been to a lot of churches, a good number of churches, And uh, this is the most uh, unique in a great way church that I've ever been to in that there's, uh, I see such harmony, I see hunger, I see kindness. Uh, I go to churches and literally, I'm the the speaker obviously, and, and nobody speaks to me. I speak, nobody speaks. It's like I've got, you know, the lip fungus or something that they don't want to be around me. But... Here, I've had folks, I'm sitting out here, I'm sitting over here, and you come and greet me, and you tell me thank you, and you're, I mean, you're just genuinely nice people, and, uh, and I really appreciate that. And of course, I've been staying with Jeff and Carmel, and I can't even tell you how wonderful that is, and just, just being here with your pastoral staff, and the pray for me, and when I was asked to come down here... Uh, it was just, uh, Chip, come down here. We think God wants to do something for you and through you. So it was not, we need you to come down here and minister to us. But, you know, why don't you come down and let's see what God does. So very unique, very unique what you've got. If I lived here, I would be here. I'd be a part of this church. But thank you. Thank you for being so kind. Thank you for shining Christ and just thank you. Well, this morning we talked about the importance of the kingdom of God. And, and again, let me just say, and you could tell this morning, I actually left up here a little bit frustrated. I felt like I fumbled and bumbled and tried to get something across that I didn't do a very good job at. But I'm still trying to sort through this thing, this kingdom of God. It's the first thing John the Baptist talked about. It's the first thing Jesus talked about. It's the, it's the main thing Jesus talked about. If we miss the message of the kingdom of God in the Gospels, we've missed it all. We've missed the ministry of Jesus. After his resurrection, he spent 40 days talking about the kingdom of God. The last verse in the book of Acts says that Paul spent his last days preaching and teaching the kingdom of God. It's all about the kingdom of God. Jesus said in Matthew 6, Seek seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And, you know, we need to know what that means. You know, if you aim at nothing, you're bound to hit it. What, what does it mean, seek first the kingdom of God? I know I'm supposed to seek it, but what is it? How do I seek it? How do I know if I found it? 
When is it? Where is it? So the, this morning we talked about the importance of the kingdom of God. It's just, it's just all over in the New Testament. And it's, it's, it's in the Old Testament as well. We, we've seen that and we know that the prophets were prophesying that this king was going to come. And I'll talk just a tad more about that in just a minute. But the kingdom of God, this morning the importance of the kingdom of God. And this evening what I'd like to do in the next 30 minutes or so is, is try to answer three questions. And again... I'm just trying to fan the flame, you know. Let's, you, I could sit out here and you could teach me about the kingdom of God. Some of you undoubtedly, you know more about the kingdom of God than I do. I know Stuart knows more about the kingdom of God than I do. Sam knows more about the kingdom of God. I just happen to be the guy to come in here and start talking about it right now. So let's fan into flame. That's what I want to do. To just Let's restart the conversation. Or if you've got the conversation started, let's keep it going and ask the question, what is it? What does the kingdom of God mean to Eltham Baptist? What does the fact that uh, we're to seek first the kingdom of God, how does that actually apply to my church? You're, you're thinking of building projects. You're thinking of all this. How do we see through the, the lens of the kingdom of God? How does this affect us? So this morning, the importance of the kingdom of God. Tonight, I'd like to answer, at least ask three questions and take a peek at them. What is the kingdom of God? Where is the kingdom of God? And when is the kingdom of God? The, the kingdom of God is, some people call it the, uh, the great reversal. I call it the paradox. Jesus teaches these paradoxes. If you want to be first, you've got to be last. If you want to live, you've got to die. If you want to be great, you've got to be the least. If you want to get, you've got to give. These paradoxes of the kingdom, the great reversal... Things aren't like they seem. We live, we live in a very, and you know this, but we live in a very spiritual world. We have a soul, we have a spirit, we have a soul, we have a body. There are spirits around us. There's this invisible spiritual world. I used to go uh, annually, twice annually actually, to our new recruits training conferences in Europe. One of them was in Holland in the fall, in the winter it was in Germany. But I remember very specifically one of the conferences in Holland, I was having a meal, and sitting in front of me was a man named Paul. Now, Paul was one of these guys who would kind of fade into the background, you know? One of these guys that probably would not get much attention. And here I was sitting in the dining room, and there were the, the speakers all around, and we had our field leaders, and we had our area leaders, and we had our leaders' leaders, and our leaders' leaders' leaders, and all these guys walking around, and here sat Paul. And Paul got his start in OM. He, he nursed his wife until she died. He changed her diaper. He did everything he could to take care of his wife. She died, and he was probably at that time probably 65, and he said, I just want to do what I can do for Jesus. So at that point, we in OMUSA were building our, our headquarters. And I remember Paul came down there, and all day long, Paul would be on his hands and knees laying carpet. I remember seeing Paul on his hands and knees laying the carpet going up the steps. Just a very unassuming guy that you'd look at and say, well, bless his heart. I'm, I'm, I'm glad Good job. Well, here I am at this conference in Europe, and Paul is sitting in front of me, just kind of slurping his soup, and I'm just minding my own business, and all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to me. Now, I don't get these great visions and dreams. I've had one or two, but I don't get these great words from God. I've had several, and when I say I heard this, I didn't hear this audibly, but just totally unexpected, out of nowhere... This comes into my head, and those of us know, we followed Jesus long enough. His sheep will know his voice. I pretty much know when Christ is speaking to me. So the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. So I'm just sitting there eating. Paul's in front of me, and the Lord spoke to me and said, in front of you sits a powerful man in the kingdom of God. That was it. I was so taken aback with that that I put my cutlery down, and I just kind of sat back in my seat. And here's Paul. In front of you sits a powerful man in the kingdom of God. He didn't look powerful. He didn't act powerful. But you know what? Things are not as they seem. In the kingdom of God, in the invisible realm, things are not always what they seem. So 
I looked at Paul, and he was eating his soup. And I said, Paul, can I ask you some questions? He said, sure. I, and he worked on the ship at that time. He was, I think he was on the doulos. And he had come to the conference for some reason. And I said, Paul, can I ask you some questions? He said, yeah. Paul, do you, do you pray much? Yeah, I suppose I do. Paul, do you see God do powerful things through you? Yeah, I suppose I do. Paul, do you pray for sick people? Yeah. You see God heal them? Some of them. Paul, what does God do through you? I don't know. He just answers my prayers. In front of me sat a powerful man in the kingdom of God. All of these big-time big shots and leaders and names and da-da-da-da-da-da-da in the kingdom of God, they might be big shots, but they may be little shots because things are not like they seem in the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of the paradox, the upside-down kingdom. Well, let me try to answer a few questions as we look in this. So, what is a kingdom? What is the kingdom of God? The definition of a kingdom today is primarily a geographical area and a people over which a king exercises his authority. There's the kingdom of Kuwait. Anybody know his name? If you know, if you know the name of the kingdom of Kuwait... Nah, I can't... Yeah. Well, Stuart will give you $100. It's <laughs> pretty safe. Kuwaiti dollars. The kingdom of the king, the king of Kuwait is Sheikh Sa'ad al Abdullah al Salim al Sabah. You knew that, didn't you? Yeah, I'd call him Bubba. The kingdom of Saudi Arabia. No, I'd call him Bubba once. And then the no. <laughs> kingdom of Saudi Arabia is, that was kingdom of Kuwait. Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, King Salam bin Abdul Aziz. Kingdom of Great Britain, uh, the kingdom of Great Britain, it's Queen Elizabeth. Who knows the uh, ruler of the magic kingdom? Mickey Mouse. Okay. <laughs> but a kingdom, if we think about kingdom, a kingdom is a place that you go and you go, ooh, ah. Look at that. Ooh, that's pretty. Ooh, look at that. Oh, that's a nice, but look at the a crown. Oh, that's the kingdom that we think about. The modern definition, however, is not the primary biblical definition of a kingdom. And I say the primary big biblical definition of a kingdom. The primary biblical, de- well, before I ask you, what do you think? I don't know if we have time to go through this. Let me ask. I bet if I ask 10 different Christians the question, what is the kingdom of God? I've asked people that. You've asked that. What is the kingdom of God? Here's some answers I've gotten. It's a place we go when we die. The kingdom of God is the same thing as heaven. Oh, the kingdom of God, that's the new Jerusalem. Is it the millennium? Uh... The kingdom of God is the church. What is the kingdom of God? Jesus said, pray thy kingdom come. What does that mean? What are we praying to come? Well, the primary definition of kingdom in the Bible is not a place, but what I call it is God's rap. You know what rap music is? Rap music, R-A-P, rap music. The kingdom of God is what I call God's rap. It's his rule, it's his authority, and it's his power. In the New Testament, the definition primarily of a king is the rule and the authority and the power of a king. The rule is that exercise or authority of control or control. Authority is a power to influence to command thought, opinion, or behavior, and power is possession of control, authority, or influence over others. Let me give you an example. Uh, the Greek word, is Sam in here? Sam, make, make sure I pronounce this correctly. The Greek word for kingdom is vasileia. Did I get the accent right? Vasileia. 
And my understanding of Basileia is it's the rule, it's the authority, and it's the power of God. Is that right, Sam? Stuart? Am I right? Okay. Let's look at a portion of Scripture. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And I want to talk about for a minute this Basileia. So, say Basileia. Basileia. There's an old song in America called Blame It on the Bossa Nova. You ever heard that one? There's an old, Blame It on the Bossa Nova. Well, Blame It on the Basileia. All right? The Basileia, the rule, the authority, and the power of a king. And in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, I've kind of semi-named this the battle of the Basileias. Luke 4, 1 through 13, and this is the English Standard Version I'm reading from. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Do you know Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit? Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Jesus was Spirit-led. Jesus was Spirit-led. Jesus walked in the Spirit. What hope, what hope do I have if I'm not spirit-led? So Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. Uh, by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And I mentioned this last Wednesday night. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God. Oh, the power of doubt. If you are the Son of God. He knew exactly who Jesus was. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written. Plumb line. Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the basileas of the world in a moment of time. And said to him, to you I will give all this authority and all their glory. For it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whomever I will. I used to wonder about that portion of Scripture. What did Jesus see? So Jesus was here with the devil, and it says in a moment, in an instant, in, in just a flash of an instant, it says the devil showed him all the basileas of the world. And I used to think, now how could Jesus see Vienna and Australia and South Africa and Las Vegas and all in an instant of the world? And I... My understanding of Scripture, that is not what Satan showed him. Satan said, this authority has been given and delivered to me. What, what, did, what did we lose? What did Satan get in the garden? He got the authority, got the power. He got the rap. He got what God intended man to have. He got what God intended Adam to have. He didn't get the world. The scripture says uh, the world is, uh, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So Satan didn't get these chairs and the roads and the cows and all that. The cattle on a thousand hills still belongs to the Lord. What Satan got was the basileia. He got the rule, the authority, and the power. And in an instant, he said to Jesus, he showed him all of this. He said, in an instant... He said, if you fall down and worship me, and by the way, he's still saying that. We're going to worship somebody, right? From the get-go, when Satan sinned, what he wanted was worship, right? He wanted the angels to worship him. He was beautiful. He was glorious. He was magnificent. And the Scripture leads us to believe that he wanted worship, and he still wants worship. So he said to Jesus, just bow down and worship me, and I will give you all of these things. No need to die, Jesus. Come on. Let's side. Forget the crucifixion. Forget the pain. I give it back. You can have it. All I'm asking you to do is just fall down and worship me. You got it. But what Satan may not have realized, I doubt if he realized, he may have, Scripture doesn't make this clear, but Jesus brought his own basileia with him. When Jesus came, he embodied the kingdom of God. 
When Jesus came, he embodied the rule, the authority, and the power of God. And what we had here was Jesus at his weakest and Satan maybe at his strongest. It was an unequal fight from the get-go. And it was the battle of the Basileas. The kingdom of, the kingdom of heaven was coming down. And there was this clash of the Basileas there. And Satan said, you can have this Basilea if you want it. And Jesus basically said, I brought my own. I'm bringing the kingdom of God to earth. And then it said, and Satan left him, what? Until what? Until an opportune time. How about this one? If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you are the Son of God, cast yourself down from here. If you are the Son of God, come down off that cross. If God really loved you, that wouldn't have happened to you. If God really cared about you, you would have that, or this wouldn't have had that, that. If, 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 if. And Jesus said, oh, I wish I had my plumb line. It's over there. It is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. So here, here at this, this temptation in the wilderness, which, by the way, the Bible says the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. He was Spirit-led into the wilderness. Sometimes you may think, why am I going through such a hard time? Jesus was led into it. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But you know what? Glory be to God. Because the Spirit of Christ lives in you and me, the, Spirit is uh, the, the, the devil is defeated. His demons are defeated in us. Do you know you have authority over demons? You know that. Do you know why you have authority over demons? Because you are in Christ, 1 Corinthians 6, 17. He who has joined the Lord is one spirit with him. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3 says, You are seated at the right hand of the Father in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. It says, well, further on down, it says, you see, the, Jesus, praise be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is, praise be the Father of the Lord Praise be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've lost it. Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. Okay. Praise be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. Praise be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in the heavenly realms. Well, read it to me. With every spirit. For he chose us in him before the create. No, that's not right either. Wait a minute. Yes, thank you very much. That's that's Ephesians one four. Was it one four five? Very good. That's wonderful. Thank you. And then let's jump. You know what? It doesn't matter. This is what I think it says. Well, I about got it right. I'm about there. You know, almost doesn't count except horseshoes and grenades. We got to know what it actually says. Ephesians, I'm, I'm reading here for Ephesians, why we have this authority, why we have this basileia, this rule, this authority, and this power because Christ is in us and where he is there is the kingdom. For this reason, ever since I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him, know him better. He said, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance of saints, and his incomparably, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. 
Listen to this. This is yours. His incomparably great power for us who believe. Let me get it right here. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God, far above all rule. And now, this is the important part. Far, you're seated at the right hand of God. This is you. This is you. This is what the Bible says you are. This is why we need to know the Word of God. It tells you who we are. The Bible says you're seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and over every title it can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. And because you're in Christ, you're seated at the right hand of the Father, in Christ, and all things are under His feet. Rule, authority, power, and dominion. We go into Ephesians 6. It talks about how, uh, how we stand. We put on the full armor of God, and we take our stand. And the reason we can stand there is because where we're seated in Ephesians 1. Anyway, that's why we have authority over demons. So the kingdom of God is the rule, authority, and the power of God. And I'm not going to go through all these scriptures because it would take a long time. But if you want to see them, come to me and I'll let you see them all. The kingdom of God is the rule, the authority, and the power of God. What is the kingdom of God? It is, kingdom is a basileia. It is a rule, it's a reign. Let's just say it's a rule, it's an authority, and it's a power. Next question. Where's the kingdom of God? My sister... Before I came here, my sister came to visit us, and my sister is sweet as she can be, but I don't think she has a theological bone in her body. She is just simple and sweet and childlike, and here I've been studying the kingdom of God and looking up the Greek and doing all this kind of stuff, and I looked over at my sister, and she's kind of sitting there, and I'm talking about the kingdom of God, and I said, Debbie, where do you think the kingdom of God is? And she said, well, I believe the kingdom of God is Jesus, so the kingdom of God must be where Jesus is. And I went, oh, how did you know that? <laughs> I studied so hard to get this, and there you sit, you know it. Where is the kingdom of God? Very, very simply, Wherever Jesus is. Because Jesus embodies the kingdom of God. So when it says the kingdom of God is near. Well that's because Jesus is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. That is because Jesus is at hand the kingdom of God is in you is because Jesus is in you. The rule, the reign, the authority, and the power is in you because Jesus is in you. The kingdom is God, the kingdom is God is not a place. The kingdom of God is a rule and it's authority and it's a power and it's found in Jesus. It's found in Jesus. Boy, there's all, I'll just read you one portion of Scripture. Luke 19, 11 through 12 says this. While they were listening to this, Jesus told them a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom, the Basileia of God, was going to appear at once. He said to them, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So this man, this man had a place to rule. He had a place to rule. He was just going to get this, he was going to get this rule, authority, and power to rule. So it's not a place, it's a wrap. It's a wrap. Where is the kingdom of God? It's simply wherever Christ is. And let me go to the last question. When is the kingdom of God? 
If you turn, if you will, to the very last verse of the Old Testament. The very last two verses of the Old Testament. And this is the NIV. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Malachi said, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Now, turn your Bible one page over, maybe two pages over. Go to the first page of Matthew. You have just passed through 400 years. From the end of Malachi to the beginning of Matthew is 400 years. And the last the Jews heard from God, the last Israel heard from God, he said, see, I'm going to send you the prophet of Elijah. He'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. And then God hung up the phone. And he didn't call back for 400 years. These are what are called the silent intertestamental years, or the 400 years of silence. Between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament is 400 years of silence. The heavens were brass. Now, silence does not necessarily mean inactivity. God was silent, but he was very, very active during that time. And the Old Testament ends with this note of expectation. The Jews, Israel was, in a, Israel was in a mess, really, at the end of the Bible. We know that uh, the Assyrians had captured the Persians. Uh, uh, no, the, the Assyrians had captured Israel, the northern kingdom, ten tribes of Israel. They had captured them in about 720 B.C. They took them out of the northern kingdom and they were gone. What happened to them? Nobody knows. They're the lost ten tribes of Israel. They were just kind of assimilated into whatever. So the northern kingdom of Israel vanished. And then at about 586 B.C., Judah, the, the southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin, they were captured by Babylon. And then Babylon was captured, overrun by uh, Cyrus the Persian, and because Cyrus, uh, the temple had been broken down, torn down, the walls had been torn down, and Cyrus didn't want the God of the Israelites mad at him, so he told uh, Ezra and Nehemiah they could go back and they build the walls and they build the temple back, and then along came uh, the Greeks, and I won't go into all this because I don't have it all straight in my head, I'd have to read it out. But, and I don't have it all written up here. But what happened was you had the Persians, you had Cyrus, and then you had, then you had Alexander the Great. Now, this is interesting. Alexander the Great came, and he was kind of like the, the Greek missionary. He Hellenized the world. He made the world Greek. He, the, the whole known world, Alexander the Great, conquered. Alexander the, the Great died around at age 30. Some people say he died for various reasons, but some basically say he died. He drank himself to death because he had no more worlds to conquer. But during this time, he conquered the known world, made it Greek, and because everybody was speaking Greek and not many were speaking Hebrew, they translated the Old Testament into a book called the Septuagint, which means 70, which means they thought 70 people translated the thing. So all of a sudden, the Old Testament gets Greek, everybody's speaking Greek, and then the Romans come through, and they capture Israel, and they begin to build roads. And by the time Jesus came along, most people were speaking Greek. The, the Old Testament was Greek. So when Jesus was reading out of the Old Testament, 
Both the Jews and the Gentiles could understand it. The temple, people were no longer, by the time Jesus came along in Rome, the temple was still there, but people were meeting in synagogues. In the Old Testament, we don't see synagogues. All of a sudden, we come to the New Testament, and there's scribes and Pharisees and Herodians and Essenes and synagogues. They still had a temple, but they had synagogues. So Jesus could stand up, and he could read out of the Septuagint, the Torah. He could read out of the Old Testament, and everybody could understand it. And when Paul came along, well, not just Paul, but when the disciples came along, they, they could take the gospel through the known world, and everybody could read the Greek. One of the reasons that, very likely, one of the reasons that when we read Old Testament quotations in the New Testament, and they're not quite exactly like our Old Testament, very likely because they were translated out of the Septuagint, which was an accurate translation, but the wording might have been a little bit different. So even though... God was silent during those 40, 400 years. God was preparing the world for Jesus. Sometimes we think, what is God doing? Why is God so silent? God, why don't you answer me? God, why aren't you doing anything? And God can say, how do you know I'm not doing anything? What if one of your children looked at you and said, Mom, why aren't you doing anything? Because I'm preparing to do something. God, why aren't you doing anything about this? Well, I am doing something about this. You just don't see the picture yet. And during those 400 years, God, why aren't you doing anything? I am doing. I'm preparing the way for the Messiah. And by the way, when the Messiah showed up, when all of a sudden God picked up the phone and called again, and Zechariah was in the temple, and he saw Gabriel... And Gabriel said, you're going to have a son, name him John. And then John the Baptist came and started preaching. And all of a sudden, the Jews were saying, did you hear this? God's calling again. For 400 years, he hadn't called. There's this woolly booger over here. In the, I hope that's not a bad word here. It's in the States, it's not. In England, it would be a bad word. Uh, there's this woolly guy over here. There's this guy named John Baptism over here, and he's baptizing people. And Glory be to God, he's talking to us again. We just don't understand what he's saying. Because they were expecting the Messiah to come in on the conquering horse, and he was going to be the king, and he was going to set up the rule, and he was going to reestablish the Davidic rule, and there's going to be milk and honey and grits, and everything was going to be good again. But it's not quite the way it happened. And that brings us to the when. The Jews expected the kingdom to come in its fullness when the Messiah showed up. Remember at one point Jesus slipped through the crowd because they were trying to take him away and make him king. Jesus said, I'm going to be crucified. And Peter said, no, 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 Lord, 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 don't talk like that. That's not going to happen to you. That can't happen to you. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. So when is the kingdom of God coming? Did the kingdom of God come when Jesus showed up? Or is the king of God, kingdom of God coming when Jesus comes back? When is it? Is, did it? is the kingdom coming when he came? Did it come when he came? Or is it coming when he's coming? Does that make sense? You know what the answer to that is? Yes. Yes. The kingdom of God came when Jesus came. When Jesus came the first time, he met Satan in the temptation. They had the clash of the Basileas. Jesus came into town, and John had already said this, but Jesus came out of the temptation. He had won the victory. The victory had already been won, but he had the standoff there with Satan. He came down, and he said, 
The time is fulfilled. What time? The time of the coming of the Messiah. It is filled. Fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. There's a new sheriff in town, boys. Things are going to be different now. Everything's changing. Repent. Change your mind. Metanoeo. Look at things differently. It ain't the same anymore. Repent. And believe the good news. What is the good news? The good news is this. The rule, the authority... And the power of God has now come to earth in Jesus. And this confrontation of the kingdom of God with the kingdom of Satan. What Paul calls this this evil age. Jesus said, it has begun. There is going to be an overthrow. I'm taking back what Satan took from you in the garden. And Jesus began to declare and demonstrate that by preaching it and also healing the sick, casting out the demons, raising the dead, walking on the water, calming the storms. And he's saying, I have the rule, the authority, and the power to do that. And now is it at hand? It is at hand. And he told his 12 disciples... You go out and do it now. And then he told the 70, now you go out and do it. And then he told you and me, because the kingdom of God in Christ dwells within us. Because Christ dwells within us. And he tells us to go out and declare and demonstrate this kingdom of God. However, the kingdom of God came partially. But it's going to come fully. The kind of theological terminology is the already. But the not yet. The first fruits. The harvest. I was in Switzerland with a, a friend. My wife and I were staying with him and it was the beginning of spring, and he said, Chip, I want, you to, I want you to come out to my strawberry patch with me. So I went out to the strawberry patch with him, and he looked around in that strawberry patch, and he found one strawberry, one teeny-tiny little strawberry, and he brought it to me, a little bitty old thing, and he said, Chip, I want you to eat this. I said, Dave, it's kind of a small little strawberry. No, you eat it. He said, you know what this is? I said, it's a strawberry. Oh, duh. Yeah. He said, this is more than a strawberry. He said, this is called the first fruits. This is the first fruits. He said, eat it. So I ate it. He said, how did it taste? I said, it was sweet. It was good. He said, it's nothing like the, the crop that's coming. He said, it's like the crop that's coming. But you can't, you, you wait till the whole crop gets here. In its fullness, there's going to be strawberries galore. When uh, Jeff and I were out hiking the other day, we were walking past this little tree. And, and Jeff looked, he said, come here. And he pulled this little berry off. What kind of berry was it, Jeff? Wild cherry. Wild cherry. He pulled this little berry off. We only found one. And Jeff said, uh, eat it. And I looked at it. It popped into my mouth. And I didn't say, oh, well, that was good. That's over. But Jeff said, the trees get full of these. He said, my little granddaughter, Tabitha, Tabitha and I, we come out here and we just eat at these things. It's the first fruits or the last fruit that I, but it was, the, it was just that little bitty fruit. But this first fruits of that strawberry that I ate, there's going to be more. And what, is, what has come, Jesus has brought in the already, the first fruits. There are healings. There are demons cast out. There have been people raised from the dead. There are miracles. Things happen. But people still die. And not everybody's healed. And some people have cancer. And 
some of our children die horrible deaths. And my best friend was killed by this driver who was high on synthetic marijuana. But one day, one day, there will be no more death. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more anything but the blessedness of Jesus and hell and death is going to be thrown into the lake of fire and all evil will be cast away and then the fullness of the kingdom will come and God will reign supreme. And it is coming. It is coming. It will be here. But until then, God has told us, what I want you to do is look forward to that, but demonstrate what you've got. We demonstrate it poorly, but we demonstrate it. We see through a glass darkly. We don't understand. I don't understand why God doesn't answer all my prayers. I don't understand why I pray for somebody who's sick and they, don't, and they die. I don't understand why I can pray for this person and they're healed and I pray for that person and they die. I don't understand it. But I'm not going to quit praying. I asked the Lord one time, Lord, how many people are going to, how many are you going to heal I pray for? He'll say a lot more than I'll heal if you don't pray for. So we live in faith over here. And we do the best we can to understand the Word of God. We live by the plumb line. We fill our hearts with the truth of God. We live by the Spirit of God. We're led by the Spirit of God. We're filled with the Spirit of God. We want to live in holiness and righteousness and walk in, without grieving the Holy Spirit. And we want to be filled as much as possible with the kingdom of God, the rule, the authority, and the power and it's going to be imperfect for now because we still live in this evil age where there are demons and there's Satan and there's opposition and there's battle. There's a war. Once we begin to realize we're living in a war zone and not a playground, things start making more sense. But one day, The fullness will be here. So, what is the kingdom? It is the reign, the rule. It is the authority. It is the power of God. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first his rule. Seek first his authority. Seek first his power. How dare we call him Lord and tell him what we will and will not do. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness that's rightness with Him. And it's grace. It's not works. It's grace. Declare and demonstrate that kingdom. As we're led by the Spirit. What is it? It's the rule. It's the authority and the power of God. Where is it? Very simply. It's wherever Jesus is. That's where the kingdom is. When is it? It's already. It came with Jesus. And when he left, he sent his Holy Spirit and he said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And the gospel of the kingdom, the good news, here's the good news. You know what the gospel is? The gospel, the good news is that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The good news is that the kingdom of heaven has come in Jesus, is now within us in Christ, and the fullness of it is coming in the future. That's the good news. You cannot have good news without kingdom. And when you got kingdom, it's good news. So when, the, when we're told in Matthew 28 to go through all the world, preach the good news, which is far beyond. I say far beyond. It is beyond. It's not just the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. Thank God. If that's all it was, that's enough. That's plenty. That gets you and me to heaven. But that's not the full good news. Jesus didn't start preaching that until later on in his ministry. What he was preaching was the kingdom that the rule, authority, and power of God is at hand. So what is it? It's the rule, authority, power of God. 
Where is it? It's wherever Jesus is. When is it? It's already. Thank God Almighty, it's already. I don't have to live like the world. I don't have to live in despair like the world. I don't have to hate like the world. I don't have to worry like the world. It's the already. But thank God it's the not yet. That will one day be. And you and I will live in forever. So I'll come back to Mark 1.15 and i close with this. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Oh, Lord. God, even as I teach this, I just know how little I know and how little I live this and how inadequate I understand it. But, oh, Jesus, thank you that even when I wasn't looking for you, you came looking for me. Thank you, Jesus, that it, as it was read, you chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. It's you, Lord. It's you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you that we, we can experience the rule the authority, and the power of God in our lives, through our lives, in the already now, and look forward to the day that we will know as we are known, we, are, we will see as we are seen, and at that day, Lord Jesus, there will be nothing but eternal worship and praise and glory with you. Hallelujah. Amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net.